So tonight, uh, we are going to talk about the nose of God. You heard me, right? We're going to talk about God's nose. See, throughout the Old Testament, they continually make reference to God's nose, but perhaps you never noticed because it was right under your nose. Uh, see, uh, in the Hebrew language, which is what the Old Testament was written in, uh, it's a, an image language. They would connect concrete images with abstract ideas. So if you were to read it in the Bible that someone burned with anger or his anger was kindled, uh, it, it is literally saying that his nose became hot or he has a hot nose. And what they're trying to do is describe in concrete terms what happens when someone gets angry. Right? When you get angry, your face, specifically your nose area, gets hot, it gets red. And we see that depicted all the time in cartoons, don't we? Someone gets angry, their face turns red, smoke comes out of their ears. The Hebrew language is doing the same thing. So anytime you see the word anger in the Old Testament, I want you to think nose. Now, in this series, we're looking at how God's character shines through and reshapes how we see our hardships. And this is how God has described himself. So Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. The Lord, the Lord, a merciful, a merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And the character trait we're obviously zooming in on tonight is that God is slow to anger. So we know anger is nose. So what type of nose do you think God has? He has a long nose because it takes his nose a long time to get hot. So there you go. That's what God's nose is like. But here's the thing. Even someone with a long nose who is slow to anger will eventually get angry. And that's what our text is all about, right? Verse after verse, it is displaying God's anger, his wrath being poured out on the city of Jerusalem because of their sin. God is pictured as actively warring against his people. And, and I want to tread carefully here. I'm not implying, nor is this text, that every single time something bad happens to you, it's because God is warring against you, that he has made it his personal mission to, to take you down. The reality is we live in a fallen, broken world, and oftentimes that's where our hardships come from. But hardships do invite us to question God's character. And so we're going to take the opportunity presented to us in Lamentations 2 to wrestle with God's anger. How do we explain God's anger, and, and does it do anything for us when we're in the midst of hardships? So here's how we're going to unpack all of this. First, we need to make sure that we understand what anger is, specifically God's anger. And then we're going to look at three characteristics of God's anger that connect it to our hardships. Now, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us in our heads think that God at his core is angry. Right? That's just who he is, that he could fly off the handle at any second. And as you read through the Old Testament, you can kind of find some support for that, right? He strikes a man dead because he touched the Ark of the Covenant at the wrong time. Or, or, or he causes the earth to swallow up a group of wannabe priests. Or, or he wipes out 
all of mankind save for eight people on a boat with a global flood. Or in our passage, he decimates an entire city. Right? He, he comes across as an angry God. And people outside of the church, and, and maybe even some of us inside the church, read accounts like that and say, what type of messed up psychopath do we believe in? But before we get too offended with God's outpouring of anger, we need to make sure we understand what he's angry about. See, anger doesn't exist in a vacuum. Anger is a reactionary emotion. It's responding to something. So I want you to imagine that, uh, that you're at the park, you're watching one of your younger siblings. If you don't have younger siblings, just imagine that you do. So you're, you know, you're at the park, you're sitting on the swing, scrolling through your phone, and all of a sudden you hear a commotion. And you look up, and, and someone has knocked your sibling down, thrown their backpack in a mud puddle, and is running off with their hat. Odds are, you're going to get angry. You're going to be outraged at the, the evil and the injustice that was just done to your sibling. See, anger is a reaction to evil and mistreatment. And that's what God's anger is. It's a reaction to, to human evil and injustice. When God sees the rebellion that mankind has brought about, the defilement of his good creation, the, the mistreatment of other humans, the, uh, the rejection of him, uh, this causes him to be angry. So in, in one sense, God's anger is kind of like a volcano. It doesn't go off 24-7. It is set off by the shifting of tectonic plates. And, and so with this in mind, that God's anger is a response to human evil and injustice, I, I want us to look at three characteristics of God's anger. And the first one we have already mentioned, that God's anger is slow, or that he's, he's patient. Uh, and we obviously draw that from his self-description in Exodus 34, but, but we need to understand what it's pointing to. Uh, and the Apostle Peter fleshes that out for us in 2 Peter 3.9, where he says that the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Now, have you ever been around a parent who, who says, Simba, now my kids are into Lion King, so all my things are going to be Lion King references. Simba, you, you come over here. Now, Simba, I am counting to three, and you better be over here when I'm done. And, and sometimes they'll count to five or ten, or they'll just count super slowly. But the common denominator is they are all being patient or slow to anger with their child's evil, his or her disobedience. And if I can be honest with you, I, I used to be critical of those people. It's like, come on, you, you gave a command. They should hop to it and obey you. Then I had kids of my own and realized, hey, I don't actually want to pour out my wrath on them. I'm not actually interested in bringing the full weight of my anger against my kids. I would much rather they lovingly respond to what I've said and flourish because of it. And this is what God is doing with the nation of Israel. E even in this outpouring of anger, uh, did you notice what the poet kept referring to the city of Jerusalem as? Again and again, every single time, it is the daughter, Jerusalem. God still sees them as his children. His desire is not to dump his wrath out the moment someone does something wrong. He is patient with us. 
He's patient with Israel and gives them chance after chance after chance to change. However, eventually the bill does come due. Right? Eventually you do get to three. But perhaps uh, that still seems unfair to you. It seems unfair that God would ever level a city or dump out his anger on anyone. And this is why we need to understand that not only is God's anger slow, God's anger is just, or it's right. It's the right thing for him to do. Here's how the poet puts it in verse 17. The Lord has done what he has purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. In other words, God did not wake up one morning and say, okay, I think I'm just going to level Jerusalem. No, this was a response a long time coming. See, here's what happened. Israel had entered into a covenant relationship with God. He would be their God and care for them, and they would be his people and obey him. And the, the sad thing is that uh, they actually broke the covenant while it was still being written. As Moses was up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, writing out the, the terms of the deal, Israel is down at the, the foot of the mountain worshiping a golden calf. And so by the terms of the agreement, God had every white right to just wipe them out then and there. But he was patient with them and continued to be patient with them, just as Israel continued to act wickedly. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Is God good if he never punishes Israel? Is he a good God if he never punishes evil? And the answer is no. See, if God never punishes evil, that means that either he is not powerful enough to deal with evil, or he just doesn't care about it. Either way, it would make him a God that's not worth believing in. And I think deep down, we want a God who is just in his anger. We want someone who will smite the wicked. We, we want all of the wrongs to be righted. We want God to pour out the full weight of his wrath on all those who do wrong until we are grouped among them. And, and that leads us to, to the final thing that we need to understand about God's anger, that God's anger actually reveals his compassion. See, our situation is not unlike the nation of Israel. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that, that we have all committed acts of evil and injustice against God and our fellow man. And, and that means that we are all deserving and destined to experience God's wrath. And the Bible tells us that the payment or the wages for that evil is death. And for God to be just, he has to exact that price. But, but remember, God's desire is for all to come into repentance. And so he sends Jesus to stand in our place. Here's how the prophet Isaiah describes this exchange in Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. 
Jesus endured the full weight of God's wrath. He absorbed all of God's anger for our injustice, for our evil that should have been dumped out on our own heads. And here's why he did it. Romans 3, 25 and 26. He did all this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Do you see that in Jesus, God proves his justice. His anger is satisfied. He deals with all evil. But he is also compassionate toward us evil doers. He spared us from the death we deserve. So what does that have to do with our hardships? How does God's anger impact 2019 or 2020, whatever year this is, 2021? It assures us that the bill will come due. God's anger assures us that despite the injustice of our circumstances, the hardships we face, God will respond to all of them and set every right wrong. Every tear will be wiped away, and there will be one day where there is no more sorrow. And we can be absolutely confident of that when we look to the cross. It is God's promise that he will set all things right. But until that day comes, we can be encouraged and rest assured that if he is delaying, it is to extend compassion to someone. And perhaps that someone is you.